got a little picture when we were worshiping. And since you're all old enough, remember those grade school days when the one of the greatest joys during your day was to go out and clap the racers? Do you all know what I mean? You used to be able to clap the racers and then you come in and take the old stinky sponge and wipe off the board. I had a picture of huge blackboard and we all had to come up and write all our sins on it. And Jesus just stood there and we wrote every sin we ever committed. And then he took the eraser and he, and he wiped them all off and he took the erasers and he clapped them in the wind and those, those sins were gone. But not only that, he took the sponge and not with water but with his blood and he wiped all the residue. Everything is gone. He is good. He is so good. Boy, he is good. Because he's just so good. I can't get this out of my mind. This just sticks with me. You know, I think of... Can everybody see that all right? I can't. Well, turn a little bit, everybody. See, we all we all live down there in our own reality. But if our reality doesn't match up what the Father says, somewhere between the reality and, and the perspective of the way we saw things, things got skewed. So if your reality isn't measuring up, go back to this. Walk it backwards. Look at things in your life. I'm sure the Lord will show you. I'm sure he'll show you those little things. That you thought nobody would ever show you, but he is always willing to show you things. And I thought and thought about that. And one of the things in, in the church, well, let's let's first go back. A couple of weeks ago, I I have no clue what Terry talked about last week. So if I repeat what he says, that's okay. I spoke on being content. And uh, as I had two of my children and their spouses and five grandchildren for a week, I practiced being content. <laughs> and uh, they kept saying, why do you just sit there and quietly? You can... I said, because I'm content. I'm... I, I can sit on a porch in a nice gentle breeze and look out. And yes, there are mosquitoes and black flies biting on you your whole life, but I'm still content. So being content is not a, but see, people think being content is just accepting the whole, the rut you've become, where you live. And it's not that. That second song, that God is on the move, is the reason you can be content where you are, because you know God is moving on your behalf. And that you will move in his direction. He will come and take you. And so you can be content knowing that he is always there for you and always loving you. And he is always there. He is always there. I'm going to speak a little bit on the Son of Man. We, you know, we hear so much the Son of God and the Son of Man. And I want, I want to talk about what people's reality is. And why so many people are dissatisfied with their reality. I, uh, Norman and Donna said they saw the movie Avatar recently. 
An avatar is basically a projection of yourself into another world. It's not really you, but it seems to be you. And it's virtual reality, and if, if you follow anything, virtual reality is getting to be a huge thing in the computer world. They have now these, you've seen the ads where they wear these big goggles, you know, and uh, where you don't have to be in the real world, you can go into a world that you can sense you're in, but you're not really there. And I've watched I watched a couple shows about it, and there was there was one on you know that was a, a very long show. It was done by National Geographic on the virtual world, and they they showed a group of people to give you an idea how realistic it is. They they sat in a, a semicircle, and off in the middle was this goofy looking little doll with stick legs, and it had little you know cameras for eyes. And you put on the virtual reality thing, and you sat there on a little couch, you know, facing it too. And the doctor or whoever was testing this said, okay. And he went over and touched the, the doll's leg. Well, your mind is telling you he's touching your leg, so you, you jump. And he took a pin, and he stuck it, and they all jumped. And he took his finger and went towards the, right towards the lens like he's poking you in the eye and they all went. And he was showing that your brain picks up what your senses tell you. And, or your brain relates to the, what your senses are. And you start living by that. And they were talking about in the near future there is going to be a time, because there is, a, there is right now a thing called Second Life. It's an old game. Warcraft. If, if you ever had kids or something that's played Warcraft. And I've, I've seen my grandson do it. I've seen my son do it. And what you do is you go into a computer and, you know, you go into this universe where you're something else. But you can communicate. And I, I watched my grandson play it with his friend who was in a, you know, 30 miles away and sit and play this video game and they they would talk to each other. And they go, "Well, let's go down here. There's a, you know, there's a troll down here. Let's go get him." "Oh, quick, get away. They're coming after us. Here comes, you know, get your sword out and shoot your arrows and and it and it's fascinating to watch. But second life is an escapist. You can go someplace where you wouldn't go in the normal. You could go into a bar, or you could go into whatever you want to do. And you talk back and forth to people you've never met. You have relationships with people you don't know and have never met. But you can do this because you feel safe and that nobody's going to be in there. And what they were talking about is the future of virtual reality will, will come to a time where people who are dissatisfied with their reality can live in these worlds almost permanently. And that's not that far off. In 20 years, there'll be, there'll be places where people just go in and can be fed intravenously. And they live a vicarious world and a vicarious life doing what they wouldn't normally do, but they can do it in this world because they think there's no harm. They're afraid. Their reality isn't real. They've never come to know 
And in the religious world, Jesus being the Son of God is, we all nod, yes, that's true. But you know, when we talk about Jesus being the Son of Man, truly man, we go, eh, you know, what, what really is the Son of God? What truly is the Son of Man? And, and the Son of Man, we've got to get the perspective. Because the way the religion sees it, God gave us a person that's a God-like person that we can never be like. And that's where so many people see religion. I can't live up to that standard. I can't be like God. You know, it goes back to the old, the old mythologies where Zeus stood up there and manipulated mankind, you know, and you had no choice. There was a God and you were his pawn and he did what he wanted with you. And people really don't see a way out of their circumstances because they can't be God. So that's why Jesus came as the Son of Man. But the church, for a, a, I think a really large part of the church, doesn't see Jesus as the Son of Man. Truly the Son of Man. And that's what I really want to, want to talk about. God gave us the Son of Man. And I'm, I'm basically, I'm going to go through a number of scriptures, and uh, you can follow along with me. And it's just where they talk about through Old and New Testament, Jesus is the Son of Man. Now I'm going to start with Psalm 80. And some of these may be a little more lengthy, and some will be very short. But Psalm 80, verse 17. Hey, let's start, uh, I'll start in verse 15, Psalm 80. It says, The root of your right hand has planted the Son, and you have raised him up for yourself. Your vine is cut down and is burnt with fire. At your rebuke, your people perish. Let your hand rest on the man at your right hand. The son of man you raised up for yourself. God raised up the son of man for himself to bring to mankind. Let's go back to the New Testament to Mark 2. And start in verse 8 here. This is Jesus in his ministry on the, on the earth. Now, we all agree Jesus knew who he was. But Jesus here, immediately Jesus knew in his spirit that this was what they were thinking in their hearts. And he said to them, Why are you thinking these things? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and take your mat and walk? but that you may know the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I tell you, get up and take your mat and go home. Jesus knew he was the Son of Man, and he knew he had all authority, and he wanted to show this to them. You know, the Jews did not even believe he was God, but to believe that God rested in him, and he was, the, he was a man that God rested in, he showed and demonstrated his power and authority, not only over sin, but over death and, and illness. Hebrews 2, verse 5. And as I got reading this, I, I went, boy, all of this. It's funny, the heading on this is Jesus in my NIV. It says, Jesus made like his brothers. 
Hebrews 2, verse 5, and I, uh, I'll stop where I feel like stopping when I get there. It is not to angels that he has subjected the world to come about which we are speaking, but there is a place where someone has testified. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him, now here's being described what the son of man is, made a little lower than the angels and crowned him with glory and honor and put everything under his feet. And putting everything under him, God left nothing that is not subject to him. Yet at present, we do not see everything subjected to him. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death. So that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. And being and bring many sons to glory. And that's important because it's talking about every one of us. Because he did that, he can bring us all to glory. Sons is not a, it's, it's not gender related. It's we are all sons of God. And it goes on to say, in bringing many sons to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the author of their salvation perfect through suffering both one who makes men holy and those who are made holy are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers. I think I'll stop there. See, Jesus came as the Son of Man to make us his brother. We could not be, if you want, if you want to talk about the, the virgin birth, if Mary did not experience a virgin birth by the Holy Spirit, it wouldn't be God. It would be just another man, another man's procreation. It would be man, 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 man. It does not work that way. God came to become, through Mary, the Son of Man. And we'll go into some verses after, after a few minutes, but I, I just want you to understand that Jesus did come and lived a life as a man, the son of man. And I, I know through, I always wonder, what's the son of man? What's Well, he was the son of man. Psalms 8. Let's go back to Psalms. Psalms 8, verse 3. When I consider your heavens and the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him? The son of man that you care for him. You made him a little lower than the angels and crowned him with the glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet. That's where those verses came out in Mark. That was, that was from Psalms. The Psalms are prophetic. And again, it says, God is thinking of the Son of Man. And well, yeah, I'll just, I'll just go in the order I have them written down. Revelation. And I'll, I'll pull this all together in a little bit. I just want to see you that in every place, Jesus is considered the Son of Man. Revelation 1.12 I turned around to see a voice that was speaking to me, and when I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands, and among the lampstands was someone like a Son of Man, dressed in a robe reaching down to his feet and his golden sash across his chest. He was the Son of Man in his heavenly realm. 
Jesus was still the Son of Man in heaven. He did not give up his humanity when he went to heaven. Revelation 14, 14, 14. And I looked, and there before me was a white cloud, and seated on that cloud was one like a son of man, with a crown of gold on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. Again, in Revelation, Jesus is the Son of Man. Philippians 2. How fast can you find a verse? Philippians 2, 6 through 11. And this is your attitude, starting verse 5. Your attitude be, should be the same that of Jesus Christ, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking on the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name and that above every name, that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. See, Jesus gave up his God, Godness, if you want to put that, and set it aside so he could come down and relate to us, so we could relate to him. Because if he came as, as God, you know, like in the, in the Thor, Thor movies, you know, I am Thor, I got this hammer, and I can do what I want. Nobody can relate to that. Nobody could pick up his hammer. Only God could do that, the Thor God. But Jesus came down and humbled himself and became one of us. And the last one I want to go to is, this is a prophecy. And I just want to show you this, you know, how this goes through all, all scripture. And this is in Daniel 7. And you know, Daniel is just a, filled with prophecies. Daniel 7, 13. And Daniel says, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me was one, like a son of man, coming with clouds of heaven. He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power, and all peoples, nations, and every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. Daniel's vision is the Son of Man being led into the presence of God. And, that, and that's really important. I watched a movie called uh, Silence. I don't know if any of you have seen it. It's, it's about Jesuits, priests that went to Japan back in the 1600s or something, 1700s. And it, it, I found it very interesting probably not from the part that Martin Scorsese wanted you to see or to mock religion or whatever, but the story was one Jesuit priest that they said had given up the faith. And so these two mentors or young Jesuit priests that had been mentored by this other priest said, we must go find him. And you can imagine back in the 1600s getting on a sailing ship 
sailing across the world, the finest. When they got to Japan, they found that the Christian religion was being practiced of sort. But these men were looked as gods. They were the ones that needed to come and you needed to go to to get forgiveness of sins. And it was really funny. There was one, there was one guy. He, it was almost every time he was in the movie, he says, you gotta, you got to forgive me. you got to forgive me. I've, I've sinned. You know, forgive me. And he went through this whole movie. And the thing about him, as a little side note, I realized that he actually grasped who God was, that he was an always forgiving God. But the point I'm trying to make is these people were looked at as God. They couldn't relate. They didn't relate to the people. They wore their same clothes, and they, they went through their same things, and they're saying, now you've got, you've got to do this. You've got to do this. And you've got to do this. And some of the people grasped what God was, and it really doesn't talk about, but they were brutally tortured and put to death. Brutally. And it comes down to this one priest that they're, they're talking about. He, he gets into a situation where the ruler of the, the shogun, the ruler of the Japanese territory, I won't describe it, but is brutally torturing a number of people. And it was a very long process. And you could hear their screams and their cries. And all you had to do to save your life was he had a little piece of stone that had a cross on it. And he put it down. He says, put your foot on it. That's all you had to do. And your life was saved. You weren't tortured. To the shogun, that meant you disrespected God. But to this priest... I'm a priest of God. I have to, you know, I have to keep my position. I have to keep my order. And this is what struck me. And they were torturing these people. And his big dilemma was, the shogun said, just put your foot on this. Just put your foot on this. And I'll stop killing these people. And he wouldn't do it. And he killed the people. And he killed the people. And finally, it weighed so heavenly on this, this priest, he finally put his foot on it. And he felt that he denounced God. Not even close. See, the priest was so enamored with his position that he could not humble himself, be like the people he was trying to serve. He had to be above them and be their priest. And he felt terrible when he, when he did it. And he never went back in the story. And he and the priest he was looking for, who he found, who went through the same circumstances, lived there the rest of their lives and, and married and had children. But when this priest died, and it was still, if you had a cross with you, well, they, in his funeral, his wife, they would put you in a barrel when you died and, and they would cremate you. She put a little cross in there that he always carried. See, he finally humbled himself, and he felt terrible about it. He felt he rejected God. But think of God, who humbled himself to come to us. And it just struck me in that movie how, how we have turned things around, that position and, and, and title and 
everything in our culture, that even we still now send out missionaries who go and say, you have to change. You need to start wearing clothes. You need to eat these foods, and you need to do this, and you can't do this anymore. Well, there are some things that are, are right and stuff, but are you going out to change people, or are you going out to change their, their hearts? Are you trying to change their circumstances? See, God became flesh in the virgin birth. Again, I said, if, if, if it had been a man who appropriated, appropriated Jesus, if it had been Joseph who was the father in the natural of Jesus, it, there would have been no point to it. It would have been totally worthless. It would have just been another man. But it was God. And then, and you don't have to turn to it, but John 1.1, that whole section about the Word becoming flesh, and the flesh dwelled among us, and he alone had, had known God and been with God and seen God, and his flesh became... It's amazing. It's, it's hard for the mind to conceive. But see, that's a reality. That's a reality that goes all back to your perspective and your perspective to your belief and your belief to your experience and your experience becomes your reality. Jesus became a man that we could have the reality of having him. So our whole perspective of who we are and why we are here and our value, and I'm always struck by that. That is one thing that's changed in me, is seeing value in people. I uh, experienced a flying home yesterday. There were two women, obvious, obvious lesbians. It, it didn't. You don't have to be a rocket science to pick it up. Sat and rubbed, held hands and caressed each other as they sat together on the plane and rubbed each other's legs and, you know. But God loves them just the same. I know we like to put people that we think are worse will never have the opportunity to love and be with God forever. But see, at the cross, God came in the form of the Son of Man and died on the cross. That everything was finished, and that was sin was finished. And I read, and it's a, it's a verse that I've read before, but it struck me this morning. And it says that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. It doesn't say every man, every woman, every homosexual, every murderer, every priest, every bishop, every pastor, every commoner, every poor guy, every street person, every prostitute will not make it. It says everyone. And that's what grace says. He opened up heaven for everyone if you would call on the name of the Lord. See, humanity, well, let's, let's go to one more. Let's go to Galatians 4. And then I'll, Galatians 4, verse 4 and 5. But when the time had fully come, God sent his son, born of a woman, but under the law to redeem those under the law, that they may receive the full rights of sons. See, he came when God chose the right time to give us all the rights of being sons. That's not the son of Wesley Aldrich, my father, and that is not the son of 
my relatives who, you know, I could go back and look at their headstones from the early 1800s. It, that's not the son I became. I became God's son because the Son of Man came and put me in that position that I would have. What we as, quote, humanity done with this, this consideration of God being the Son of Man, we either accept it, we believe it, we either ignore it, and there's a lot of people that ignore it, and disbelieve. But the sad thing is a lot of us, and I think particularly in the church, we try to make the Son of Man like us. We try to make Jesus appear like us, as opposed to us being like him. Do you understand that? We try to make our him like us. Well, Jesus was the Son of Man. Jesus was tempted in every way. So, okay, guys, I'm okay. You know, he gave... And this is an old line I used to hear. And he gave everything, you know, everything is acceptable. You know, well, go ahead and smoke dope. God made dope. He made that weed. Go ahead and smoke it. You know, Noah was the first alcoholic. He drank. I can drink. I mean, we try to make God like us. We try to justify our sins through that. But see, Jesus didn't come to justify our sins. He came to do away with them. He said, no, I don't want you to be like the heathens. I want you to be like me. And I will make it easy for you. If you call upon my name, you will be saved. How easy? I mean, there's no law. There's no regulations. There's no, you know, if you're not tithing, if anybody in here is not tithing, you're never going to make it in the kingdom of God. I'm sure that's been said. And you've heard all those lines. You've heard all those things through your, your life growing up. But God says, I've done away with law. Call upon his name and you will be saved. It is simple because he became the Son of Man to be like us. See, Jesus came as the Son of Man and he lived a life as the Son of Man. Jesus died as the Son of Man. He arose as the Son of Man and he is seated with the Father now, not only as the Son of God, but the Son of Man, as we read in the verses. He is in heaven as the Son of Man. He is a man, Jesus, in the presence of the Father. He is the first of many brothers who is there. And he will come back, as we read in Revelations, as the Son of Man. He is still the Son of God, but he is the Son of Man. So what does that say to us? It says that we can live a life as the Son of Man. We died with the Son of Man because of who he was. We arose, we are seated, and we will forever be with him in glory with the Son of Man. It is important to understand who the Son of Man is. It is not just something that God happened to throw in there to make us feel better about ourselves. But we live a life as the Son of Man. Now, one of the things that Jesus did, which I'll go into in the next couple weeks, is his parables. They're done on a very human... He takes spiritual concepts and brings them into a man realm. 
he takes what he sees in the Father and brings him into the, the realm of man. So man could live above the line. You know the line we've talked about in the past. Jesus says, I am from above, you are from below. He's trying to teach us that we can live above. And what I'm going to do is, is go through the parables. And some of them, you know, you may get one of those aha moments going, I never thought of that. But that's why we do this. Because two years ago, we never thought of this. We never thought of this experience. It is, it is, it is changed. And it has changed because God came as the Son of Man to be an example for us and to teach us and, and to love us and to give himself for us. But he got everything back. Plus, he got his whole family back. We are all heirs and joint heirs with Christ. We are seated with Jesus, the God-man, and Jesus, the Son of Man, in heavenly realms. And we will be presented before the Father, as the Son of Man, as Jesus' brother. Something to contemplate. So if your reality seems a little screwed up, backtrack on that. Backtrack on perception, or perspective, perception, belief, and experience. And see what your reality is. Is your reality God is the Son of Man? And if he is, call on his name. And you will be saved. Sila.